Good to see everybody this morning. If you've been with us for a while, you know this summer we're working our way through the book of Romans, and so we find ourselves this morning ready for the second half of chapter 8. And this is the thought that we were left with at the end of the first half, so we're going to jump off of this. And the thought is that if we are children of God, if we are Christian, then we have a great inheritance to look forward to. Here's the verse. This is verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So think about it this morning. Here's a, are you Christian? Are you a child of God? And you know because the Spirit of God will have shaken you awake or will have woke you up to the fact that you need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if I say that, you need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and something in you wants to shoot up out of your seat, go, yes, I do. Like, you just know it. Like, your spirit agrees with that. That's child. That's, you're good. You're in. That is, this says the spirit of God will agree with your spirit, and you both stand in agreement saying, yep, I need the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. Now, if I say that, you need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I don't say anything else, and you're like, I don't know. I mean, you guys talk about it all the time, but... Mm. And there's some disagreement or it's a little bit of an interruption there, then that can't be... Like, when two things agree, there's peace. When the Spirit of God and your Spirit agree, there's peace there. And when that peace is there, that is confirmation. If there's unrest there, then think about it. Maybe, maybe you're outside of that. But if you're... So check. Check your own heart this morning. Where are you at? But if you are, then, if we are children, we put that back up. If we are children, then we are heirs, it says, heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Which means this. What Jesus got, we're going to get. How it went for him, that's how it will go for us. So what? What did he get? He got life after death. He got a new resurrected body. He got ascension into heaven. And he got togetherness or life together with God in some way that went on. That's our inheritance that we have. Are you excited about that? And it's kind of hard to be excited about it. We talk about it a lot. It's a familiar concept. Heaven when we die somehow. But I wish it was more tangible. Because tangible inheritance that you know you're going to get, it actually produces excitement today. If you know for sure something is so good and it's right there and, it, and you're in line to get it and you are for sure going to get it, even if you haven't got it yet, it actually can make today better. And that inheritance is a bit vague. It's easy for us to, maybe easier for us to grab a hold of that concept of a good inheritance on, in an earthly sense because it's more tangible. Some of you might know right now that you are in line for a great inheritance from your parents or grandparents. You stand to get soon a significant chunk of wealth, and you are today pretty fired up about that. You don't have to identify yourself, but you just, whatever's go, whatever you're going through today, yeah, I'm going through this today, but I, but I have this, and, the, and it's pretty bright, and it can actually shine a light on however dim this is, and so it's going to be okay. 
I'll give you an example. Not from this room. Oh, there's a family that I know. Every grandkid gets 300000 And it happening happens. What if you're that grandchild? Like you got, what if it was me? Like I knew right there it was coming soon and something was going to change. It gives you something to think about, doesn't it? Today. And if I had 300000 coming soon, like right now, today, it would be like, yeah, I don't know what I have to go through today, but it, it can be brightened by that. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One honest person. That's <laughs> yeah, tangible. And it has the power to change you today even before you get it. We have that as children of God. We have that as Christian. Not 300 grand. <laughs> You're like, oh, I like the gospel. We get that? No. We have that, and we're going to need it. That inheritance is supposed to shine a light back to what we are today. We're going to need it because here's verse 17, right after 16. It says, before we are glorified like him, we're going to suffer like him. And the last half of chapter 8 talks about the time between this day, right now, today, and the day that we're going to get our inheritance as children of God, and how it's going to be difficult. But in the midst of that difficulty, it gives us some things to consider while we wait. It's really about the life in between. And so that becomes our title today for the last half. Things to consider while we wait for a great inheritance. We'll start with 18. And we'll go to 25. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So let me stop right there. I don't know what you're going through, but this says that what's coming is going to be so good that this suffering, whatever it is, is going to pale in comparison. This is going to be so good, it's going to overshadow it, it's going to be worth it, it's okay, because... It's going to be that great. So I don't know what's kicking out of you right now, but we have something coming that's going to overshadow it all. The glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we will wait for it in patience. So there's something really good coming, but between now and then, this tells us that we are to expect things to be difficult. Expect difficulty. And it tells us why. This is for Christian children of God. Expect it to be difficult between now and then. It tells us why. The why is that all of creation has been subjected to futility. Everything you can see, everything that you can take in with your five senses, everything you can put your hands on, 
which would include us, people, everything, has all been subjected to futility. One translation says it's been subjected to frustration. Another one, the one I like, this is the new living, says everything that you can see, all of creation, our world, has been subjected to the curse of God. The reason it's difficult. Do you have difficulty? You have frustration. Things seem futile. The reason for that is the world we live in has been cursed by God. Now, we're going to come up out of that. Not willingly, it says. It's not been cursed willingly, but it also not without a reason. There's a reason that he did it. All this language in 8 is referring back to what happened in Genesis chapter 3, the fall. All the language there supposes that we know what happened. It describes the rollout from the fall. That initially God created it and it was good and it was perfect. And he just said, trust me, but we couldn't do it. Like we really just couldn't trust him. We thought he was withholding something from us. We gave into temptation and we trespassed against him. And the moment that we trespassed against him, he cursed it. Romans is supposed to help us think rightly about God. And so include this in your thoughts about God. If you trespass against him, there's penalty. He's not soft on that. There's a severity to God that you must include in your thoughts about him. He cursed it because of the trespass. Now here was the curse. So when it says it was subjected to futility, this is what he subjected it to. I'll recap Genesis 3, and you go back and find these things, but I'll just pull them out. When it says that, this was part of the curse. One, subjected to, there's going to be act on all of creation, there's going to be active hostility between forces of evil and ourselves. He says to the serpent in that scenario, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And her offspring is certainly going to be Jesus, but it also includes us. This is going to be a place of active hostility This is going to be a place of spiritual warfare between us and the forces in the heavenly realms that we cannot see that are not for us. This is a battlefield. It's it's actually, it's written about in other places in Scripture too. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, what you can see, but there's something pushing the buttons behind what you can see that is against you, and so expect it to be difficult. You have an enemy This is not you and I trying to tough it out, doing the best we can. We have something, someone that's actively working against us because they are condemned and they want us to be condemned and so they'll do everything they can to drag. Misery loves company. Trying to drag us right over into that misery. There's going to be active hostility inside the closest of relationships. Says to the woman, your desire will be for the man but he will rule it over you. Everyone is going to have the disposition of me first. Everyone will believe that everything's going to be me first. And in you live in a planet where everyone is me first, naturally, it's not going to be a great place to live. It's going to create hostility and even the closest of relationships, the most loving, if you will, relationships. Because it's me first, and it's, no, it's me first, and it's me first. That, and it just scatters out from there. Subjected to pain, says to the woman, there's going to be pain in the bringing forth of children. And those of us who have children know that the pain doesn't stop at birth. <laughs> in many respects, it's when it begins. 
It is a beautiful gift. It is a beautiful gift that we're created in the image of God and God is creator and then he, gets, he lets us participate that and it is a blessing, blessing, blessing. But it, the children and the bringing forth and the bringing up of children is racked with difficulty and pain. I don't think they know. But your highest highs as a parent, but also your lowest lows are all tied to them. It just, when they hurt, you hurt. You couldn't, you, you can't possibly know. It's difficult. And it doesn't really change. We had little kids where our family is transitioning. We had little kids, you got sort of little problems. You can solve them with just, <laughs> but they get bigger and the problems get bigger and you can't solve them just like that anymore. And I'm told that, like, this is where we are. Our oldest is getting ready to go off to school. And so things are different. We're in transition. And there's some pain there that I didn't even know was there. But it's very real. And I'm told that those people that are even beyond us, hey, even when they grow up and they get married and they move out and have families of your own, that does not mean that you stop being parent and doesn't mean that you stop hurting when they hurt. It's going to be difficult. Pain, weeds is part of it. All of creation. This is how it's supposed to be. You are going to rule over creation. You're going to subdue it. You're going to develop it. You're going to pull from creation all those things that you're going to develop it in such a way that's good for you. And when you try those enterprises, the, the creation's going to cooperate with you. But now, it's not going to. You're going to have those enterprises and you're going to develop it. You're going to try to rule over it. You're going to try to subdue it. But it doesn't listen to you anymore. It takes its orders from frustration. It's commanding officers frustration. And so every enterprise that you engage in is going to be full of frustration. You're going to eat of it all the days of your life, but you will eat of it by the sweat of your brow. Weeds. Difficulty. And the last one is maybe the toughest, and that is dust. That's part of what he cursed it with. Because you have sinned, you will surely die. Our bodies have a great finish line, and the great finish line that our bodies are headed to is dust. From dust I brought you, and from dust you will return. That's what he tells the man. And some of us that are a little further down the line know that our bodies are headed that way. They break down, and they don't fix back easily. And it is, it's a it's difficult. It's full of pain. And ultimately, the big ender is death, and that is full of pain too. And not just the physical side of it, but just the loss of the person. It gets spread out all around. We were at a funeral home yesterday. A 68-year-old guy had a family, fought the good fight, fight while he was here. He left a wake for his family behind him that it was full of it was full of striving for goodness and rightness and charity. And it was. And, the, and his kids stand in that. And he's gone. His daughters, they just cried and cried and cried. He's going to be so missed. And every time you see that, just death or dust, we're reminded that this place is cursed by God. And all those things are part of that curse. And that is the world we live in. And that is why it's difficult. Where did all that come from? Where did all that futility come from? Heaven. The maker of it all, the creator of it all, subjected it to futility. The severity of God. It all came because of sin. 
But it's not the only thing from heaven that came because of sin. What else? At just the right time in human history, what else came because of sin from heaven? Jesus. Now a righteousness has been revealed from heaven. That's what we've been that's what we've been studying over the last several weeks. Something new also came. The severity of God, but he didn't leave us stuck in it. He sent his son who was going to start to work against all of, all of that futility, all of that curse, and, and redo it and recreate it. So right next to the severity of God, you have the kindness of God. Romans gives us a picture of God that you have to grab onto. There is... There's the severity, but there's also the kindness. And I promise you in this room right now, most of us lean one way or the other. Because of what you've experienced in life, you lean more towards God is severe. And because of what you've experienced, you're like, God is kind. But he is altogether both all the time. You have to grab a hold of that. That's the picture of who he is. So he comes then to start to work against that futility. Is it all still cursed? Absolutely, it's still cursed. But then he starts to redo it. He starts to rework it, to undo it. So how does he do it? How is sending Jesus going to undo this curse? Anybody have any ideas on that? Like, what's the big deal? Do you know what he does? Jesus is a restart. Do you know that we, as a matter of fact, we just read it earlier, like chapter five, I think, in our own book. He's the last Adam. He's like the next Adam. The first Adam came down and he messed it all up. And never, never, never blame Adam because it's all us. So he came and he disobeyed. Right? Christ comes. He's the, calls him the last Adam. He comes and he doesn't disobey. Adam comes to the garden and he gives in to temptation. Christ comes and he goes to the garden, but he doesn't give in to temptation. Christ comes to, it says, he redeem us from the curse because he became the curse. Anyone hung on a tree is cursed. He came to take it all away, that all that God had subjected it to became focused upon Him. I said, I've said several times, and there's a few in here that don't like it, that don't understand, like, when Christ was on the cross, God hated Him. Like, you got to stop saying that God hated Jesus. <laughs> Will you stop saying that? Because He doesn't hate Jesus. But on the cross, He did hate Him because Christ became something that he wasn't. Christ became, he was numbered with the transgressors. He became everything that God hated. And God did turn his back on him. And it's a good thing that God hated him because now he doesn't hate us. Think substitute. He filled in. He was a substitute to take it all so that we wouldn't have to. So he comes to redo it, to be a substitute, to get rid of the curse. And then God brought him back from the dead because he's going to restart this whole thing. There's going to be a, a new heaven and a new earth. It's a restart. And through Christ, he's inviting you into the restart. Who wants to be part of the restart? Like the first one, like think about it. If you're a descendant from Adam, all you get all the way down from Adam, you come from him, you get this nature that's anti-God and you're just going to break it. But the restart, the next Adam, you come from him, you become his descendant, and all of a sudden there's life and hope and there's a restart coming. Which one do you want to be a part of? The first or the last? And so he's inviting us into that. Like, let's be a part of the restart. You guys want to be a part of the restart? All right. But listen, it's not like that. 
It's not like that. It says there's a delay because we're waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. All of creation eagerly awaits the sons of God to be revealed. So hurry up. Like, believe. Hurry up. What are you, you're slowing down the story. Let's, all of creation waits for them to be revealed. And then at just the right time, then He will. He, he will start the restart. But we have to wait till people, we got to populate the family. The new family. So hurry up. Listen to, uh, it says, all of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons. He said, you know, the gazelle running from the leopard this morning is like, hurry up. <laughs> I can't keep doing this. Believe already. It says, all of creation, the whole creation is groaning in the pains of childbirth. That's what's going on. So, is there something good coming? Yeah, but it's the process that's going to be difficult when we get there. So, creation is groaning, and it also says that we're groaning too. That we've been awake to this. We have a picture of what's actually going on all around us. We have a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We know what we're going to get, but we don't have it yet, and so we grown. So we're in this position between what we're going to get and where we are right now, and it's going to be full of difficulty, and we groan. It's going to be full of uh, it's going to be full of this. <laughs> Do you have that? Like every day, like uh, I do. Every day. And it comes from all kinds of places. Where does your, what is producing that in you right now? It's going to come from people. It'll absolutely come from people. It will come from yourself. Part of that groan is like, why do I do what I always do? It will come from the way the world is, it will come from things you don't understand. So what's producing that in you at the moment? From, from simple to big. Our son had a birthday yesterday. Turned 14. Had a party. It was good. Got a little cash. Wanted to spend it in one, a video game. We're not huge on that sort of thing, so he's going to buy it used. And when got one, he was so excited. But it's, it's, it's junk. It's stuck in there, and it doesn't do anything. It's stuck in his thing, and he's like, he came up last night, and he's like, it's my birthday. <laughs> it's that stuff. Like, you know? I had a new client. I was so excited, and I worked really hard. You would get one shot to make a good first impression. So I did. I worked hard, got it all pulled together. Everything I was supposed to send them, I sent. I was like, done and good, and this is going to be great. And I, it left my outbox. And I have proof that it left my outbox. I found out two days later it didn't go. I don't know why, but it didn't go. And the whole two days, they thought I was an idiot. And I thought I was awesome. And it's so frustrating. Like, it left my outbox, but it doesn't matter because you get one shot. I'm like, I needed that. It's so frustrating. 
subjected to futility makes perfect sense to me. Does it make perfect sense to you? It is everywhere. I talk to a guy, he's like, do you know what? All I do is fix stuff. It's literally all I do. I get home, I work a job, I work hard, and I pull in, and I know they broke stuff. I know they did. (laughs) And so I sit in my truck, and I give myself a moment. I'm like, it's okay, they broke stuff, and I'm going to go fix it. I'm going to prepare myself now. And you know what? He is dead serious. And all I do is fix stuff too. Literally. Some of it's yourself. It's just yourself. Like you're like, I just don't like me. Like I, we got to end this thing because I can't keep being me. That's what that groan is. I was playing tennis with my daughter. Before an elder meeting yesterday, okay? In case you didn't know, I'm an elder of this church. She beat me first set six to four. Wouldn't have been so bad, but the last two points, whatever, I double faulted. It's not that hard. I mean, (laughs) it's not that hard. I mean, literally, like if you missed it, just get it over there. And I, and I was mad. <laughs> and the ball was bouncing back. I hit the net and I just hit it. I was in it, trying to hit it into the net, not my daughter. Like, I just want it to be over so I don't have to be me anymore. <laughs> That's part of the groan. You have a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. There is a new nature within you but man, there's still so much other stuff. And that's kind of the light stuff. There's some heavier stuff. I, we have occasion to drive by in the summer a house. It's a, it's a first trailer in the trailer park. It's, it's clear out by the road. And in the summer, that door stays open all the time. And when you drive by, you can see inside there. And it is full of trash. I mean, it is full. There's it is as tall as me. You can see it from the road. And there's two little kids that run in and out of that door all summer long. One of them's a little boy, I can tell, and he's just, uh, he's always got a saggy diaper, and they're just in and out, in and out in the yard, and nothing really prevents them from coming up on the road. And I think about, I see it, and when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, I like, I think about him, like, what is going on with him right now, and is it good? And there's something in me, I just, I know it's not, and it, pre, it, it produces this, uh, like it's just so messed up. It's that, it's broke. Everything's broke. It shouldn't be that way. I read an article this week about ISIS, and it says that the article said that it's tightening its grip on a certain group of people that they have taken captive. It's the Yazidi people, um, they hate them. They live in northern Iraq. They're a community of people that blend Islam with Christianity. So when they go in to wipe them out, they literally think that they're less than nothing. So when they go in, they kill the men, but they keep the women and the girls to do whatever they want with them. And this happened. They took 3,000 of them in 2014. And this article was about they used to get some out, and they could get some out maybe 100 a month, 200 a month. They could get them out, but now they've really locked it down. They can't get any out anymore. So they had just a few stories of some that had gotten out. The brutality, 
that they underwent was you could hardly read it. This particular woman was running away. Of course, they surround their, their camps and such with minefields just to make it difficult. And so she was, and she was running out with two others. One was eight and one was 20. And they all hit mines or were hit by mines in some way. She lost one of her eyes and she was burned really badly. And the other two lost their lives. And she said this, all three of us are better off. It is better to be blind and burned or dead than to be with them. And that is going on right now. It's just so broke. Uh, and it's just like, uh, it's cursed now. What do you have in the midst of that? Do you have anything? And that's where he goes next. That is why it is what it is, and that is the way it is. This is about, we're in the midst of the groan, and it's going to be that way. But in the midst of it, we have this. One, he points to the Spirit of God. I haven't left you alone. Inside of all this, you have the Spirit of God to help. Says, this is 26 to 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I don't know. Like, I want that to sweep in and just make, I want it to sweep in and give you hope. I want there to be something so tangible about that. You're like, you're right. I can make it. This is good. And I can't begin to describe for you all the ways in which the Spirit of God is here to help. This one says that one of the ways the Spirit of God is here to help is to help us pray when we can't. And I heard one guy describe it like this. When all you can do before God, because your situation has so crushed you, you didn't see it coming, you had no idea, and you just got wiped out, and you've got nothing to say, or it continues to wipe you out, and every day you get up and it's still there, and it's still there. I'm just thinking about some folks that are fighting cancer at the moment, and cancer has decided to kill this guy, so they give him poison to kill the cancer, but it kills everything else. So then pneumonia has decided to kill this guy. And so he fights and fights and fights to beat pneumonia, only to have the privilege to take more poison to kill cancer. And it goes on and on and on. And you just get, you can't even get up anymore. You can't get off the floor. You're just crushed. And right then, when you, have not, when you can say nothing, the only thing you have is, uh, then you have one that he has given you to intercede for you when you don't have anything in, in you to intercede for yourself. You have the Spirit, and here's the good part about it. He knows God. He knows the will of God. He knows God's will for you, and he knows what to ask on your behalf. And you can have confidence in that, that you are He's got your back. When you can do nothing, you have someone that can do the one thing you need. And He knows. 
He hasn't left you alone. I think the encouraging part to me about the Spirit, I don't know if that encourages me. I think it does. I think when, I, when I'm thinking about that little guy, that saggy diaper running around, like the only thing I can do, it feels like, is to just pray. Lay there in that bed and pray. Like, I don't know how you're going to work this out, but work it out. The mention of the Spirit right here is a mention. He's just telling you, hey, I haven't left you alone. I haven't left you all by yourself. If you right now feel like you are all by yourself in the midst of something that has absolutely squashed you, you're wrong. He has not left you alone. He hasn't left you alone. He's that good that he hasn't done that. It's a promise in other places. It's John chapter 14. It's, um, I did not leave you as orphans. I will send a helper. The, the helper, the the description of the Spirit of God as a helper, and even in the description, it's, it's called the Spirit will help you in our text. That's the same word used in another story, and I'll, I'll just tell it quickly. But that story is, you might be familiar with it, it's Mary and Martha and Jesus, and Jesus is coming to town, and one of them wants to make sure that the dinner's right, and the house is nice, and it smells good. And Can anybody relate? Like, people coming over, and it's Jesus. It's got to be perfect. <laughs> And the other one's just like, I don't really care. I just want to be with Jesus. And the one, she's so mad, right? Like, and she says, she actually yells at God, like, tell her to get in here and help me. That's the same word, help. Now, is it get in here and do everything for me? No, it's get in here and come along beside me and help me get done what I need to get done. And that's the same, the helper to come along beside. And he helps in other ways other than prayer. In that verse, he said, I will send the helper and he will cause you to believe, but he will cause you, he will bring remembrance to what Jesus has said. I've told you lots of times, but the primary work of the Holy Spirit in my life, if I can make it tangible, is he calls to mind things that God has already said when I need them. I am someone who puts in the Word of God. I put it in, I put it in, and then it gives the Spirit the opportunity to go, bring it back out when you need it. And it can be in all kinds of areas. Husbands, do not be harsh with your wives. That one comes up a lot. I put that in. He brings it up often. It just lets you know you're not alone. You're not, he hasn't left you there alone. And sometimes it's not encouraging. Sometimes it can even be a rebuke. But even in a rebuke, at least you know he hasn't left you alone. He's not leaving you sit here all by yourself. Happened to me this week. I made a potentially foolish decision. And I kind of knew it. And I didn't feel good about it. And just... A short time later, still kind of kicking around, I had this conversation with my neighbor. Completely different context, completely different conversation. But as we left it, he said this, pride comes before the fall. I'm like, oh. Like we were talking about fishing. It had nothing to do with what I, what I just did. But he, like, I just knew right then. I'm like, oh, my. <laughs> oh, yeah, he knows. When anyone quotes Scripture to you and they didn't even know they did it and it cuts you to the quick, they have become the mouthpiece of God because God has not left us and that is the Spirit of God telling you, yeah, I saw it. Which in some way is comforting at least because He hasn't left us alone. Even if it's a rebuke. I don't know what you're going through, but you're not alone. That's one. Something to consider between now and and then two says, maybe, it's the second thing he tells us, maybe, just maybe, the difficult thing that you are going through right now, maybe ultimately it's for your good. 
And this is a hard one because of the depth of the difficulty. Some of the easy stuff, we can get there. On the bigger stuff, it's harder. But maybe, this is how he says it. This is verse 28. And we know, this is right after Holy Spirit, and we know that those who love God, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So we're going to put this in context because a lot of times that verse gets picked out because we like it. All things, for those who love God, all things are going to work together for good for those called according to his purpose. And we grab that and we just use it wherever we want to. But we can't do that. So I'm going to limit it first. I'm going to reduce it down. That's a great promise. But it's for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Does everyone love God? No. Not a, clearly, look around the world. Does everyone love God? No, not everyone loves God. And so it's, it's reduced to that. Is everyone called according to his purpose? No, they're not. And so you gotta, you got to boil it down. Sometimes no. Sometimes it's, yeah, what's unfolding there is, is for your demise. And that's the way it's going to be. It's not going to ultimately work for good because you don't love God. So reduce it down first. It's not a blanket to throw over everything. But even with it reduced down, I have to look at it and say, I don't know how that can be true. Like, I, I look at that and I say, how is it that that little guy running in and out of that door, how does that ultimately get worked for good? And I can't tell you. But I can tell you this. I can't tell you that it won't be. I can't tell you that it can't be because God said He can. And He gave His Son for me when I was His enemy. And then He woke me up to the fact that I needed it. Anybody that would give their Son for you is altogether good, and I do trust Him. So if He tells me I can work it for good, then I believe Him. I can't work it out for you but I trust him. So I don't know what you're going through. It hits you. All right, now hang on. Maybe, ultimately, it was for your good. Here's the third thing I know about it. When pain is in my life, I'm never more tuned into God than then. When I have something that bothers me, I have a, I have a difficulty, I have a sore spot, I have a gaping wound in my life, that is when I go to God. When those things go away, I just do what I want and I'm happy. And then pain comes back. I'm like, oh God, help. It's true. If you look at my prayer sheet, most of it is, now there's some praise there and I've got some things that I go to him and I say thank you a lot. I do try to say thank you a lot, but most of what I'm saying, like, would you please take that away? Would you work this out? Because it hurts. And listen, if pain brings about me going to him, and ultimately God wants me going to him, that's the life. That's the life God wants for all of us. Us going to him, connected to him. If pain brings that about, then will he allow it? If that's his, if that's his ultimate good, I think he will. I think he will allow it. Because if, if that pain woke us up to a godless existence that was prideful and really at the end of the day kind of empty and then it knocked our feet out from underneath us then maybe at the end of the day we can't see it right in the midst of it but a little bit down the road you're like you know what we needed that because it actually got our attention off of our life 
and it got our attention onto him and that's what we needed and so it can be. I'll put it together with the next verse. God works for those who love him, all things for good, right? And then right after that is verse 29. Can we read this one together? Always put them together. For God works, you know, for those who love him. He's going to work it out for the good, those according to his purpose. For, let's keep going, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So that says that, listen, this is what I'm doing. God foreknows. God foreknows everybody that will love him, and he foreknows everybody that won't. Would you take that knowledge, would you take that knowledge away from God? No, he foreknows everybody, everybody that's ever lived. He knew, will they love me or will they don't? He knows in this room if you will love him or if you won't. He knows. And for those that will love him, he has predecided that you will be like his son. It's predetermined. I, it, he predestined to be conformed to his image. If you're going to love me, then you're going to look like him. And if he's predecided it, then can he use anything he wants to move you in that direction? The answer to that is yes, he can. Even pain. As a matter of fact, the guy that wrote our letter, do you know how God brought him into the likeness of the image of the Son? Do you know how he did that? Incredibly high highs and incredibly low lows. It's Paul. God knew, he foreknew Paul would love him. He foreknew that Paul was going to be his. And so that foreknowledge becomes aware to us when, when this is Acts chapter 9, God knocks Paul off his horse. When, when God knocked Paul off his horse, did he look anything like Jesus? No. And I'm not talking about a beard and feathered hair. I'm saying like character. No, not at all. But he knew that this was going to be his chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the world. And so he knocked him off his horse and said, get up, believe in me, I've got something for you to do. From that, from that moment on, he's got a lot of work to do because he doesn't look like Christ. So he starts to turn him into the likeness. What does he use? High highs and low lows. Paul describes that process in 2 Corinthians 12. God gave him revelation that he's not given anyone. There's a description where Paul is saying like, listen, I don't know. I knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven. I don't even know what the third heaven is, but he was caught up to God and God let him see everything. God gave him wisdom and knowledge and understanding about what he's doing that no one has ever had before or since. Like he knows things. He was allowed to look in and get full access says, I don't know, I was caught up, whether in the body and the spirit, I don't know, only God knows. All I know is he showed me everything. But he had to give him great knowledge because he was going to use him to take the gospel to the whole world. So he has to have good doctrine. If he has terrible doctrine, it's going to go bad. So he showed him everything. But with knowledge comes what? As soon as you have a little bit of knowledge, you become like prideful which is unchristlike. So he gave him a high, high, but he also, because he was started to be conceited and puffed up with that knowledge, he also gave him thorn in the flesh to knock him back down. He describes it this way. This is 2 Corinthians 12. This is the guy that wrote our letter saying, God can use pain for your good because he did it for me. 
So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Can God use whatever He wants to turn you into what He wants? Yeah. And He'll use both. So maybe, maybe, just maybe, in the now, between the inheritance and now, and you're going through, maybe it's for your good. Turning you into more and more the likeness of His Son because He foreknew that you would love him and he predestined you to be turned into what he wanted you to be. And sometimes the loudest megaphone is pain. Something to think about in the midst of the... uh, We'll finish the thread. Those he foreknew... let's, Let's do verse 30 and we'll wrap it up. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. So, if you're on that track, listen, he's going to finish it. It's a sure thing. Now, here's the last one. This is 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do you always know if God is for you? There's one place. In the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the groan, if you are starting to doubt that He is for you, you have one place to look. And He says it in the next verse. You can know that God is for you because He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, will He not graciously give us all things? Anyone who is willing to give their Son to someone who does not care at the moment and then wakes them up to the fact that they need it, that is a good gracious for you God. He could have left you subjected to futility, but he didn't. He let his son drink the curse so that you didn't have to be hated by him that you could be loved. That's how you know he's for you. If you're getting pummeled and you don't think he's for you, remember the cross. Who shall bring any charge against the elect? Nobody. Do you know why? Because those he foreknew he predestined to be like his son and those he predestined he called and those he called he justified and justified means just as if I'd not sinned and if God has decided that he's going to look at you as if you had not sinned because Christ took it all then you are justified and who can bring a charge against you who nobody because if God says you're justified then you're justified Is it God who justifies who is to condemn no one Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Not only do we have the Holy Spirit to intercede for us, we also have Christ at the right hand of God interceding for us, and he has not left us alone. So he says this, final piece. Knowing all these things, I'm sorry, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Is difficulty put here to separate you? No, in some cases, difficulty is put here to actually wake you up and get you moving towards God. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers nor heights nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation that is subjected to futility will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. The last one he gives us is, listen, I'm for you and nothing can separate you from my love. Don't think that you can't be separated from the love of God because he saw some glimmer in you that was awesome. It says, nothing can, be, nothing can separate you from my love in Christ. It is because of Christ and what he has done that God is able to overlook or see you as just as if you had not sinned. And that is the, that is the only mechanism that keeps you from being separated in Christ. So, between now and then, expect difficulty. You have the Spirit to help. Maybe, just maybe, it's being used for your good. But He's got this in the end. He's for you, and nothing will separate you. Because He's just that good. This week, when all you can do is think about what you heard today. Amen? Let's pray. God, thanks for the help. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for the hope. Thanks for not leaving us subjected to futility. Thanks for a way out. Cause everyone in this place to believe. Get in on a new inheritance. Forget Adam and death and get in on Christ and life. There's hope there and hope that can get us through. Bring about those things in our lives and we ask it in Jesus' name and everybody said.